Night Call with Simon Lim. Tonight on my show, my special phone-in guest is Evelyn Koo, the founder of Aphasia SG. And Evelyn is also the clinical director and practicing speech-language therapist at Gentle Care, a home-based speech therapy service. Hi, Evelyn. Welcome to my show. Hi, Simon. And why don't you start by telling 1FM 91.3 listeners what aphasia is? Yes. So aphasia is a communication disorder. It's acquired typically after a brain injury or damage. So we're talking about something like a stroke, a traumatic brain injury, a brain tumour or brain infection. It can also be a rare form of dementia. So somebody very famous, Bruce Willis, Mm -hmm. um, actually got aphasia last year and it was all over the world news. Um, So what he has is actually a rare form of dementia that resulted in a loss of language first. What's interesting about aphasia is that it's really a loss of language and not intellect. Very often we confuse language with cognition. So we think that if somebody cannot really speak very well, that means they are not very bright. Mm-hmm. Um, so with aphasia, the person's language has been affected because the part of the brain that has the language lobe has actually a damage or an injury. Mm-hmm. But their intellect and their cognition is actually intact. So they are thinking of that image or that object, but they simply cannot find the words to express it. And I understand mm-hmm. that there are different forms of aphasia, but I think it's best to hear from you like how the types of aphasia can differ. So what are the differences? There are two broad types of aphasia. We talk about expressive aphasia as well as receptive aphasia. So when we talk about expressive aphasia, um, we're looking at the expressive modalities of language. That refers to speech and writing. So when we talk about speech, it's about finding the right words. A plate of chicken rice and you want to have the vocab for it, right? Chicken rice. So the person with expressive aphasia will find it very difficult to find the right words to, to say it. And likewise, in writing, they may have difficulty spelling or constructing a sentence with proper grammar. Now, with receptive aphasia, it's more of the ability to actually comprehend language, comprehend words. Mm-hmm. Uh, the breakdown could be at the level of, say, hearing a sound. It's not hearing impairment, but they're hearing a sound and the sound could be processed differently in their brain. Maybe when we say a word like man, they could be hearing it as ran. That's actually receptive aphasia, but also reading could be affected. You know, like a, a text or newspapers, uh, they find it really hard to comprehend the language. Mm-hmm. With expressive and receptive aphasia, can it coexist? Yes. So a person can actually have both. But what we do as speech therapists is we want to find their strengths. So we will always say, oh, you know, this person maybe they have both receptive and expressive aphasia, but they have greater strength in maybe the uh, receptive ability. We sometimes say they have expressive more than receptive aphasia. Very insightful information indeed, Evelyn. Now, why did you start Aphasia SG? The seed had been planted in my head since the time I was working in the hospital and that would have been six years ago. I felt a lot for my patients. I see many, many patients with aphasia and um, there isn't a support group or a support network in Singapore for them. There are obviously stroke support group, stroke-related type, Mm -hmm. but these are not catering to the needs of somebody with a communication impairment. So there is really no safe space or no platform for somebody to build confidence and to practice with fellow sufferers, as you put it. The kind of challenges a person with communication impairment faces, right, compared to somebody who is a stroke survivor without aphasia is actually distinctly different. They could be having physical impairment, yes, but the thing that's really impeding their daily life, a lot of it is language-related. Even if they were to go to a support group with other stroke survivors who don't have aphasia, they find it hard to really build bonds or 
they find that it's hard for the other person to understand them. Yeah, so I found that there's a real need to start a support group, a support network for patients with aphasia as well as their caregivers because really it's a community thing, right? It's about building a community where they can meet one another and we can come up with strategies to help one another better. What is the Instagram handle for aphasia SG? aphasia.sg what we try to do is we try to give our local perspective to things so a lot of them are stories about uh, voices of our participants who have aphasia voices of our caregivers Evelyn Koo is the founder of Aphasia SG Evelyn keep it right here because I have some more questions for you okay yes I'll be here Night Call with Simon Lim. This evening, my special phone-in guest is Evelyn Koo, the founder of Aphasia SG. And Evelyn is also the clinical director and practicing speech-language therapist at Gentle Care, a home-based speech therapy service. And we're learning about aphasia from Evelyn. Now, Evelyn, what are the obvious signs that someone may be suffering from aphasia and needs to consult a speech therapist? When um, somebody has aphasia, it affects their ability to use language, meaning they find it difficult to speak, spell, understand instructions or read. So however mild it may seem, Mm -hmm. if you notice a loved one having symptoms like that, having difficulty with language over time, if it's progressive or overnight, please just consult a speech therapist or, you know, go to a doctor. Typically, when it's a stroke, the doctor will refer, but sometimes it can be insidious, like for example, a brain tumour or even a form of dementia. And I trust that family support, support from friends, uh, co-workers, and even neighbours and the community is important. I mean, for anyone having aphasia. So Evelyn, in your own experience in helping patients to recover, tell me why you think such support is necessary and can you cite some examples? When um, a person loses his or her ability to communicate, the family and the larger community around them can really offer some form of physical, you know, emotional and just real support, right? Functional mm-hmm. support. For example, you know, family members, when you advocate for your loved ones, just going along with them to a medical appointment, that is so important because the person with aphasia obviously will find it quite challenging to navigate the busy hospital setting or even having a conversation with the doctors. The family member, if you can be present for a therapy session, that would be so helpful because you can learn strategies from the speech therapist and try to apply them at home. Let's say the person is not fortunate enough to have family support. Uh, In such instances, we hope that healthcare professionals and workplaces can also offer some kind of support. An example I have is one of our members in our Aphasia SG community. He's a single male in his late 40s and he suffered a stroke. And his workplace, his supervisor was so kind, made accommodation for him to go back to work. He was able to actually, um, you know, really retain his confidence. The company made adjustments like he didn't need to answer the phone. So I think that's really important kind of support that companies community, social workers, everyone can, you know, do their part. And what sort of challenges do aphasia patients face in day-to-day life in the initial stage of aphasia? Uh, We often hear about the challenges of ordering food, especially in a crowded place. So one of our members talked about uh, how he will only go to the same stall who have uh, friendly stall owners because it's very daunting. Imagine not being able to get your words out or saying the wrong order and feeling stupid. Ordering food tends to be a bit challenging. Another anecdote I have from another member who had receptive aphasia, meaning she couldn't really understand what was being said, Mm -hmm. will always nod her head to whatever the hawkers ask her. They open their mouth, they say something, she will nod her head. And she doesn't know what they're asking. She'll always end up with um, noodles with extra chilli, extra ingredients. 
to, in order to actually uh, combat this problem, right, she used to carry around a thick stack of $10 bills to pay the store owners just in case it's more than $5. Yeah, ordering food is challenging mm. and they also share with me their fear of answering phone calls. Talking on the phone is really difficult for many of our patients with aphasia. So whenever the phone rings, one of them told me he will go into a bit of a panic attack and try to find somebody around him, a family member, who can actually take the phone call. It can be very challenging, especially if someone doesn't have someone to depend on. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It is so challenging because not everybody has the good fortune of having a family member. Yes, I can imagine even like, let's say, withdrawing money. And what if you cannot remember, you know, um, the password or the PIN? Something that is so seemingly simple to us, right, can be really challenging to somebody after an acute medical event like a, a stroke or having a traumatic brain injury. And I'm talking tonight to Evelyn Koo. She's the founder of Aphasia SG. We'll be back in just a bit. Night Call. With Simon Lim. On the line with me is my special phone in guest, Evelyn Koo, and she's the founder of Aphasia SG. Evelyn, what sort of exercises do aphasia patients have to do when they seek speech therapy? So when um, patients actually come for speech therapy sessions, we will recommend communication and language exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be something like relearning the alphabet. It can be practicing of spelling. Uh, we could also give them reading exercises and listening comprehension and of course speech drills so it really depends on what is their impairment the individual has very specific impairments that we want to target there is no one-size-fits-all solution so it much depends on the individual and based on that we will also tell them what apps they can download Mm -hmm. that they can practice at home now how do you assess a patient's level of competency in order to say like you know you're fine now Uh, so what are the tests uh, that need to be done Mm, it's a really good question So we always do an initial assessment where we will test the individual's ability across different modalities. Uh, What I mean is we will see how well they can read, they can spell, they can understand language, how well they can speak. There are aphasia batteries out there, but we have to take into consideration that these are developed in the US and the UK. So it's not always culturally relevant. We do take into consideration, for example, if my patient does not speak English, I cannot assess them using an English battery, right? So we talk a lot about also using informal assessments. I'm using the same test, but then I'm actually changing it to Chinese language to assess my Mandarin-speaking patient. For example, a naming activity, and then they have to name the pictures, but in Mandarin. So in their mother tongue or in the language they're most comfortable Mm -hmm. uh, with. So it could be a dialect as well. We set goals, and that is very important to your question about you're fine now so based on the goal that they have and the goal could be I want to go back to reading newspapers on my own or I want to be able to write my emails uh, respond to emails at my workplace Mm -hmm. so these are functional goals and when the person achieves these goals we discuss and they feel that they are okay they don't need therapy. They want to return to their their life. And, and life could be work. Life could be something else, another vocation. Then, yes, we discharge them. But we usually leave them with things that they can practice on their own. And what are the chances of making a full recovery, you know, once someone has been diagnosed with aphasia? There are um, some individuals who recover fully or very well. And sometimes this happens early on, like within months. But recovery is actually subjective, right? Because what we think about recovery 
it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody uh, has very severe aphasia, and when we say they recover, it could be really helping them to find different ways of communicating. They are still able to express themselves. It could be maybe not from speech, but using um, supported means. So it could be using images and teaching also the family members how to communicate this person with aphasia. Evidence right now, based on research, is telling us that we need to keep practicing. So the person with aphasia must never give up, must persevere and keep practicing because there is neuroplasticity, meaning your brain will continue to adjust and make new neural pathways to improve your language. In other words, it's also about adapting and also continuing to improve as you go along, right? Yes, absolutely. So we talk about um, really improving in terms of maybe not improving the accuracy of your speech, but then in you know finding different ways to actually communicate. So it could be being uh, really good at spelling, for example, what you want. It could be, you know, using gestures effectively or using a communication book to express what they want. We also want to stress that when it comes to aphasia, right, we cannot think simply in terms of like speech because it's more than speech. It really is communication. You know, we talk about quality of life also. Tonight, I'm talking to Evelyn Koo. She is the founder of Aphasia SG and I believe the Instagram handle is aphasia.sg. Did I get that right? That's right, Simon. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, yeah. we'll be back in a short while, all right? Thanks. Night Call with Simon Lim. Still online with me is my special phone-in guest, Evelyn Koo. And Evelyn is the founder of Aphasia SG. Evelyn is also the clinical director and practicing speech-language therapist at Gentle Care, a home-based speech therapy service. Evelyn, to recap this interview, what are the important things for listeners to identify so that you know they know what to do if they suspect that a loved one has aphasia? So aphasia happens uh, usually due to an insult to the brain, the language side of the brain, which is on the left side. So when they see that their loved one has difficulty with language communication, meaning they see that this person suddenly has difficulty finding words in speech, or maybe having difficulty spelling, reading, or comprehending language, this mm-hmm. could be aphasia, and they should immediately consult a doctor or a speech therapist. And what is your immediate mission for aphasia SG? At Aphasia SG, we have two missions. So one is to organize meaningful activities and programs that are accessible to persons with aphasia and their caregivers in order to actually give them a safe space to meet one another and for the person with aphasia to practice speech. Uh, The other mission that we have is to uh, raise awareness of the condition. So we do a lot of outreach programs, we do public talks, go to schools to tell students about aphasia. And how can people contact Aphasia SG? So they can reach us via email, which is aphasiasg at gmail.com or we have a website, www.aphasia.sg or they can actually search for us on social media. So we have Facebook account and Instagram, aphasia.sg. And Evelyn, you've got to share with me a most meaningful quote just for my listeners. The human spirit is stronger than anything that can happen to it. So no matter how tough the circumstances are to patients and caregivers out there, just keep taking one step at a time. The speed doesn't matter. Just keep going forward one step at a time. Encouraging words indeed from Evelyn Koo. Evelyn is the founder of Aphasia SG and she's also the clinical director and practicing speech language therapist at Gentle Care, a home-based speech therapy service. And Evelyn, thank you so much once again for being on my show. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Thank you so much for having me.